Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan. And we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with Daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com. That's chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, I'm Robert Kelly, and today on Record All Monsters, Terror of Mechagodzilla, the ultimate show of Godzilla movie in every way. It's a recording made from the sub just before it sank. Yes. Come in! Headquarters! Come in! Headquarters, can you hear me? Headquarters! It looks like a giant fish! No, no! Not a fish! A dinosaur! A giant dinosaur! Headquarters! It's a dinosaur! Come in! Dinosaur! Play it again. Embarrassing to say, but this is a victory lap. Record All Monsters has been a passion project, and it always will be. But with the previous episode on 1974's Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, I was able to say the thing that got stuck in my craw deep enough to get the ball finally rolling. I'm approaching this episode as not just a victory lap, though but also as a chance to renew and reinvigorate myself as I look forward to what is coming on the horizon for myself and for Record All Monsters. In many ways, Terror of Mechagodzilla is the perfect movie to reflect on both of these attitudes. The Godzilla series had reached its absolute peak of silliness with 1973's Godzilla vs. Megalon, so it may seem like the next year's film, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, couldn't help but be a little more serious and a little more thoughtful. But if you look at the trends of the Japanese box office in the mid-70s, that seriousness may have been another deliberate effort to follow the trends of the day. Toho was starting to make some blockbusters again, 
In the U.S., disaster movies like Airport 1970, The Andromeda Strain, The Poseidon Adventure, and Earthquake were making big bucks. And so it only made sense for Japanese filmmakers to try out the same thing. The dam broke, so to speak, with 1973's The Submersion of Japan, which wound up being the most successful domestic film of the decade in that country. The next year, they had another hit with The Prophecies of Nostradamus, which got so dark as to depict cannibals and mutants roaming the earth in humanity's final days in a post-apocalyptic nuclear wasteland for about 30 seconds. Once again, it topped the box office, followed by another adult-focused film, Jun Fukuda's heavily violent supernatural spy thriller, Espy, or E-Spy. I've never heard it said aloud. So the winds were blowing cold, and Tomoyuki Tanaka followed with the next entry in the Godzilla series. Initially, he turned to none other than the screenwriter for Prophecies of Nostradamus, Yoshimitsubano, director of Godzilla vs. Hedorah, who planned to use the chance to make the sequel that he had hinted at in that film's closing frames. But other Toho brass had different ideas, and since dark and documentary-like realism was in, they plucked Ishiro Honda, the former documentarian, out of retirement and told him to make another Godzilla movie, partly at the request of this upcoming film's screenwriter. Yukiko Takayama, a recent graduate of a non-Toho-affiliated writing academy, won a company-wide contest to develop the next Godzilla film, with her treatment, Godzilla vs. the Titans. They had her expand it into a screenplay, which was reworked by Honda to match his idea of what Godzilla ought to be at this point. Additionally, the studio mandated that the movie must feature Mechagodzilla and be a sequel to that creature's debut. The resulting film is probably the thing most people think of when they think of a Godzilla movie. Unlike the Gamera franchise, the Godzilla movies never quite developed a formula in the Showa era that would guide the direction of the sequels. The sequels are all wildly different from each other for the most part. Godzilla Raids Again is a moody and unfocused plotter. King Kong vs. Godzilla is tongue-in-cheek and spectacle-driven. Mothra vs. Godzilla takes the tongue out of its cheek and adds a dose of dark fantasy. And with Ghidra the Three-Headed Monster and Invasion of Astro Monster, we start to get something like tonal and thematic consistency before it gets thrown out the window as Jun Fukuda tries to balance his action-oriented approach with the demands of the youth market in uh, Ebira, Horror of the Deep, and Son of Godzilla. Destroy All Monsters feels a lot like Ghidorah and Astro Monster, but this time Honda himself tosses out the tone and makes a completely new kind of monster movie, with Godzilla's Revenge to follow that up. Yoshimitsubeno reinvents the wheel, again, in Hedorah, and Fukuda's next three entries are so different in terms of tone that when I first started getting into the behind-the-scenes stuff about Godzilla movies, I didn't believe that he'd directed all three of them. With Honda at the helm of terror of Mechagodzilla, it feels a bit like he really did put all of the best qualities of the previous films in the series into a blender and hit puree. Even children figure into this film, as Godzilla intervenes when Titanosaurus is about to stomp on a pair of boys as the final battle begins. Though, it must be said that the film doesn't show the boys reaching safety. Speaking of that Titanosaurus, he's a somewhat divisive monster. 
Introduced in this film, he is a red and orange aquatic dinosaur with fins running from his head down his back with another on the end of his tail that can be collapsed and fanned out. It seems like most folks think his design is pretty cool, but his roar, it seems like, is what many don't care for about him. His roar is a gargling, warbling screech that sounds a little bit like revving up an elephant. I love him, warts and warbles and all. I don't know if I'm in the minority or the majority, but I do know that the other side of this debate is very passionate. Mechagodzilla returns, and so does Akira Ifukube. While this is generally good news, and it is great to hear the classic Godzilla theme in full bloom, I do miss the funky jazz score of Masuro Sato. Terror of Mechagodzilla is a very good film, so far as the late 70s Godzilla outings go especially, but it didn't put too many butts in seats. And while it was never officially declared a retirement of the character, the low box office ensured that Godzilla would be absent from movie screens for the next nine years. Well, at least in Japan. 1976 saw the start of a mini-boom for Godzilla in the U.S. that would last for the rest of the decade. We talked a little bit about CinemaShare's two-pronged ad campaign beginning at the Democratic Party's National Convention for Godzilla vs. Megalon, and they wrote the success and notoriety of that film by releasing it again on a double feature with Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, which they released in early 1977 as Godzilla vs. the Cosmic Monster, and as a triple feature with Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla and Godzilla vs. Gigan, now rechristened as Godzilla on Monster Island. In the U.S., this movie came out in 1978 under two different titles. Terror of Godzilla went to theaters courtesy of Bob Kahn Enterprises, who edited it down for a G rating. And Terror of Mechagodzilla was released to TV by our old friend Henry G. Saperstein, who left the film mostly uncut, and even edited in a 10-minute prologue to catch the audience up on not just the previous movies, but the entire Godzilla franchise, after a manner of speaking. Take a listen. Godzilla, King of the Monsters. Nobody knows the origin of this indestructible monster. But many people believe Godzilla was some kind of an ancient god. Others felt Godzilla was a prehistoric monster, awakened from a million years' sleep by atomic explosions. Thinking this awesome creature a threat to civilization, attempts were made to destroy Godzilla with modern war machines. To Godzilla, these implements of destruction and their tremendous firepower were merely toys. He batted them away and easily destroyed them. Annoyed and angered by this attack, Godzilla set out to destroy the cities. The sound of his screeching roar and earth-shaking footsteps sent thousands running from their homes, fearing for their lives. He crushed all in his path and set the countryside aflame with his fiery breath. man's military might was no match for Godzilla. Bullets, tanks, rockets. 
They had no effect on this giant. There seemed to be no way of stopping this 600-ton monster, as whole city blocks became a raging inferno. black hole of outer space, invaders from other planets and galaxies decided this was the opportunity to take over the Earth. Returning to normal. But Godzilla, like an animal protecting his home territory, decided to unite with the Earth people in attempting to fight off the Earth. Godzilla the terrifying monster now becomes Godzilla the friend of the the invaders used monsters of their own. Many fierce battles took place with these frightening monsters. Godzilla was put to the full test of his strength. But in the end, Godzilla and the Earth people were victorious. Other sinister minds from outer space decided that the only way to take over the Earth and destroy Godzilla would be with another Godzilla-like creature, a huge robot monster, impervious to anything, Mecha-Godzilla. In their first encounter, a furious battle took place, in which Godzilla almost met his match. Godzilla called upon heretofore unknown powers to defeat his mechanical counterpart. And then he hurled him into the sea. I feel like this is probably the most appropriate place to end this essay in this portion of the show. With a recap of Godzilla's journey from villain to hero, scourge to savior, enemy to friend. As we draw the curtain shut on this troubled season of Record All Monsters, we're saying goodbye to Godzilla for a long time. However, his influence will still be felt as we examine the genre in his wake. Sayonara, Kiyuyu. Please don't worry. Even if you're a cyborg, Katsura, I still love you. You aren't to blame. None of this is your fault. You shed tears. Then you are human. You have a human heart like anyone else.
good, sir. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Godzilla, champion and defender of Earth in the terror of Godzilla. Titanosaurus, Mechagodzilla, destroy them. He holds the front line of battle while in their spaceships, aliens command a deadly duel. Will the powerful serpent Titanosaurus' cyclone tail and the robot monster Mechagodzilla's lethal rays destroy our Earth? See this ultimate test of power, the terror of Godzilla, rated G. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, uh, I'm Robert Kelly. Welcome back to Record All Monsters, where we're here with our very special guest, uh, Nathan Marchand of yeah. Monster Island Radio and the Monster Island Film Vault. Yeah, Monster, yes, <laughs> the host and curator of the Monster Island Film Vault, a podcast seeking entertainment and enlightenment through tokusatsu. And yeah, my producer is here to produce this, I guess. I hope you don't mind. I notice <laughs> your wife is not joining us today. Um yeah, Court Courtney uh had a she had some Jimmy Jimmy was wonderful for the most part, but we we don't have to talk about it on air. Um No, yeah, we uh, we don't need to. No, no, no. Jimmy, he said we're not talking about it. Ah. <laughs> And she's Sorry. she's not she she's not like holding a grudge. She just thought this might be you know, it might be better if she wasn't here. Yeah, I understand. Although we were also supposed to be joined by my wonderful friend John Lemay, and unfortunately he couldn't make it either, which is too bad. I love John. I love John, John is- too. Uh, yeah. When we were initially talking about doing this, not long after my appearance on uh, your show, when yeah, we you were and vacationing, yes. <laughs> um, I had approached him because I thought I would have this in the can much sooner. Mm. Uh, and he said, I let me know. I figured you would have as well. <laughs> yeah. And he was just like, let me let me know when the the record date is. And I just, just in seeing him around, you know, the internet, I was like, oh, I think he's probably, uh, 
I, I don't want to push him, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And he he's dabbling in fiction now, which is I interesting know. for him. Um, I, I but... almost want to talk to him and say, like, hey, uh, I've been doing the novels thing for a while. You, you want some <laughs> help? <laughs> Not that I don't think you could do it, John, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I haven't checked out his fiction yet just because I have a yeah, huge list of me, books. He sent me a free copy, which was very generous. Oh, him, wow. So, yeah, I'm looking for. Yeah, John and I are pretty tight. So I've known John. Uh, I met John actually a few years ago at G-Fest. Ah, uh, and it's it's a funny story how that happened. I've, I've, every year I've been to G Fest, I have been on a panel even when I didn't sign up. <laughs> I went to I've discovered that there was a writers panel run by my run by Neil Reby, wonderful yes. guy. He's been on the podcast. He's been on the MIFV a couple of times, and I'm like, I gotta go to that. Okay, you gotta understand. I you know I'd never been to G Fest before. I'd always heard about it. I signed up to go You're relatively last minute, at least comparatively last minute. Mm -hmm. And then got there, went to the writer's panel because I am also a writer. So I'm like, I have to go see this panel. And here I am in the second row. It's the middle of Saturday afternoon. And I am running on about, I don't know, four or five hours of sleep and a lot of caffeine. <laughs> and it's starting to wear off a little. So I'm sitting in the front row, excited for this, and I overhear Neil and John talking about how they had somebody drop out at the very last second. Actually, I think the guy whose book I have, he was the one who couldn't do it because he had other responsibilities. I see. So they're like, what are we going to do? And then just kind of as a joke, okay, I get my phone out, go to, an Am go to Amazon and find my kaiju novella destroyer which you should definitely <laughs> go buy and if we ever meet in person i'm talking to you and your listeners robert i will happily sign it but oh. anyway anyway or you can just order one from me and you can get it signed because i think i have copies sitting around well i mean you're right here do you have a copy Unfortunately, um, no. I'm gonna have to. Uh, Jimmy, did you remember to pack those in Ubermogra when we started our trip? You disappoint me. Anyway, I might have to go grab some on the way back if, in case we have to go back. Oh, that's later. fine for now. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Or we'll get some Amazon drones to bring some over. But anyway, yeah. so I got the Amazon page out. Show, and then said, hey, look, I got a kaiju book. Neil takes just glances at that for about a second. And then he says, huh, get behind the table. And I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> Five minutes beforehand and I just got recruited? <laughs> what? <laughs> so I went back there and he started a panel and off we went. Now... This panel was Q&A, so it's not like I had to be prepared or anything. Right, right. <laughs> but still, I, I did it. And then Neil afterwards said, that was really impressive. I'm going to have you on next year. And then I've been on that panel every year since. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. In fact, in fact last year at G-Fest, Neil wasn't sure he was going to make it. So I ran the panel, <laughs> <laughs> but Neil still showed up because he figured out, he figured out a way to still come. So he just joined the panel. And when we launched it, I, I looked at him and I said, <laughs> when I left, the circle is now complete. When I left <laughs> you, I was but a panelist. Now I am the moderator. <laughs> 
Well, you're welcome, Jimmy. <laughs> well, uh, thank you guys for coming. And I think that serves as a fine introduction for who y'all are and what you're about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but so we are here uh, to talk to you about mm-hmm. uh, a movie in the Godzilla franchise, as mm-hmm. we are wont to do. Mm-hmm. And after this, won't be doing for some time because we're going in chronological order. Ooh. Um, we're here to talk about Terror of Mechagodzilla. Oh, oh yes. <laughs> and uh, you you jumped when I told you this was the next episode I was working on. I did. On. This one is near and dear to my heart because this is my first Godzilla film. Well, that ties and... into my first question perfectly. Why don't you tell us about your background with this film? Oh, yeah. I, I was... I was a teenager, so for a lot of people, I've noticed in the kaiju fandom, they usually start when they're younger. I came to it a little bit later in life. I was, I was, I don't know, 13, 14, somewhere around there. And I was visiting my grandmother who had cable TV because I didn't grow up with cable TV. Oh, yeah, me neither. So watching cable TV at grandma's house was, was, you know, was fun because not something that I had at home. Mm-hmm. So I am over in the TV room, the living room, and I'm channel surfing, and I come across, I grew up in northern Indiana, and I come across WGN. Now, you're from Texas, so I don't know if you know what WGN is. Have you ever heard of WGN? I have heard of WGN. Oh, you have? Uh, okay. You put a big smile on my face when you said that. As someone who... <laughs> who collects clips of, you know, promos and stuff from around the internet. I have mm. run into run into them a couple times. Ah, well, for those who don't know, WGN is a channel, a local channel based out of Chicago. So I guess it was included with my grandmother's cable package. And they were running, from what I could tell, it was apparently some sort of like weekend long. This was a Sunday afternoon. Uh, some sort of weekend long kind of marathon sort of a thing that they gave the very obvious name of Oh My Godzilla Weekend. (laughs) That was not the button I was going for. I was going for that. Sorry. It worked. (laughs) It worked. (laughs) Brought the soundboard with me too. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but let's be honest we've all been making that joke for years oh, so yeah. anyway i tuned i tuned into this and i remember the yeah you because know, this is back when we had commercial breaks on tv kids i remember <laughs> the the commercial break you know interlude that they would do was it looked like it looked like a, the silhouette of a little paper cutout of Godzilla with some buildings in the background. You know, I said, Oh my Godzilla. We got, I don't know if they made it themselves or what, but they were playing terror of Mecha Godzilla. Now, mind you, I came in about halfway through the movie. Right. But you, so, but I kept watching, <laughs> even though I was like, what is going on? But I kind of caught on relatively quickly. So I got to see all the fun bits toward the end. I know I came in a little bit before Godzilla showed up because I distinctly remember watching Mughal and his right-hand man talking about Godzilla was coming, but he would be too worn out from fighting Titanosaurus mm-hmm. to fight Mechagodzilla. So I know it was a little bit before that. 
and I kept okay. wa- and I kept watching the whole thing. Now, what drove me nuts is that 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 started my obsession. I started looking into it more, and then I started buying more Godzilla films whenever whichever ones I could find. I remember <laughs> buying VHS, yes, VHS copies of stuff like <laughs> King of the Monsters '56 and Megalon. Talk mm-hmm. about an odd couple. <laughs> those, those, yeah, those were everywhere. Right. Yeah, they were the Good Times Home Video releases. <laughs> yep. Yep. Sometimes yep. I th- sometimes I think I should just track down a copy of that of that two pack just to have it because I I'm a practical collector. When I upgrade, I usually part with the older ones. So there's a there's a part of me that feels a little nostalgic for that particular two pack. So I kind of want to find another one just to have it because that was the beginning of my kaiju journey right well not the beginning but the next big step in the kaiju journey but anyway i was also a little bit obsessed with finding a vhs of this movie because i wanted to see the whole thing Mm -hmm. and i will never forget i went to a does anyone remember kmart (laughs) (laughs) i went to a kmart and I found some more VHS two packs, one of which had a movie that said it that it said it had Mechagodzilla in it. And I'm like, oh, that must be the one I saw at grandma's house. Not knowing there was what another I know one now. <laughs> so I take it home and I start watching it and I immediately figure out this feels a little bit different than the one I saw before. And I don't know how long it took me to figure it out. But I think at least 20, 30 minutes in, I'm like, this is a different movie. (laughs) (laughs) So on one hand, I was very excited to have discovered a new one, but also disappointed it was not Terror of Megagodzilla. (laughs) (laughs) And I think, I'm blowing some dust off of these files, but I think the first time I got to see, quote unquote, the whole movie, and, you know, as my friend Luke Jack and says, our destruction directive air quotes up to the mic. <laughs> I believe it was the Scimitar VHS release. Mm-hmm. And, and, I, and I have the air quotes because it's technically not the uncut movie. <laughs> that's that's the Bob Kahn. Uh, yep. The Bob Kahn cut. I have that. The Bob Kahn heavily censored and awkwardly edited cut. <laughs> I I collect the VHS tapes and I try to have uh I have one of all the Showa and I'm almost done getting the Millennium. Right. Or not Millennium. The Millennium, there's only one. Uh, right. <laughs> but the the funny, th- it's funny that we talk about that because the Bobcon cut has almost turned into lost media at this point. Now I understand I, even if I had a copy of it, I probably wouldn't watch it because I'd rather watch either in Japanese or watch the the kind of weird terror of godzilla cut that was mostly uncut and had the extra like fifth like 10 or 15 oh yeah prologue at the beginning that was kind of weird so it's a is, dub version that's technically longer that than the that original. is that's actually my preferred cut because i love that uh that prologue if you have never seen a godzilla movie that prologue is you except, know. except it says that the zillions made Mechagodzilla. Technically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but, but anyway, so it, that, like I said, that one's kind of lost media. It the last time I heard it had been released, I 
think I know Scimitar put it out on VHS and DVD. And I think the first, I want to say the first classic media DVD was that version. Yes. Yeah, the first I believe classic. So. Yeah. And I think that should be relatively easy to find. It's not very expensive if you want to have that version, but it's like I said, it's just kind of funny how it's like I said, it's almost lost media now. Well, and the, the same has, uh, has kind of happened with the, the terror of Godzilla cut. It's the classic media's previous yeah. release it's was only, the last time it was, it was on. It I was think released. that was the only time it was ever released unless you saw it on TV. I think that's the case because I, I do remember seeing that at one point as a kid, but it was when it was on TV at like two in the morning. Right. So, Cause it was, like, it was a TV cut of the movie. The Bob Kahn version was, you know, they, they took a, a cheese grater to that thing to, to cut it because they wanted to get it down to a G rating. They wanted to get it down to a G rating and they were putting it on a double feature. Mm-hmm. I think is the B, which means, you know, we're looking at 70 minutes and, <laughs> I think it's a, uh, I think it's about eighty. Yeah, yeah. I think even the, I think even the Bob Kahn version is still close to about eighty minutes. Right. I just mean that you know they're they're trying to get it. Right. You know we we don't want this to overshadow whatever the a a picture. Yeah, is. and I don't know what it was. I don't remember. I used to know what it was, what it played on uh, as a double feature, but I can't remember now. I know it played the drive-in circuit. Oh yeah, in big. the late seventies. In fact, if you have the classic, the original classic media DVD, there's a wonderful commentary, not by a bunch of film experts or academics <laughs> or anything like that. It's it's a it's like two or three fans. I, I can't remember all their names, but you know they, a lot of them do do work in the fandom. I just wish I could remember their names. I should have brought my copy with me to reference ah. this. <laughs> there you go, but. <laughs> they one of them shared the story of seeing the movie at a drive-in theater as a kid and i'm like that just sounds amazing <laughs> you know he talked about he talked about you know, when you got when you got to this the famous scene of godzilla doing his his fiery charge and we got original burning godzilla which was totally an accident <laughs> that they just left in because like well that looked cool <laughs> We had to douse the guy with fire extinguishers three seconds later, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, but he comes running, he's coming to run it and he gets the Becca console and just starts pummeling him. <laughs> and the, the guy on the commentary said people were honking their horns, which he said in drive in and drive in theater culture is the equivalent of applause. Oh yeah. <laughs> I mean, I don't blame him. That's probably that, that might be the biggest rah-rah moment in the entire movie. <laughs> yeah, it's well, other than maybe Godzilla's <laughs> entrance, but we'll get to that. <laughs> we we will get to that. Um I don't I don't usually go through the, you know, a plot out uh recap or anything mm-hmm. because uh we work under the assumption here usually that the listeners have either seen the movie mm-hmm. or uh, intend to watch it soon. Mm. And in that case, we want to build up the mystery. And in the other case, you already know what we're talking about. So go, mm-hmm. you know, but this is a sequel. The only direct acknowledged direct sequel besides Raids again. Uh, Godzilla raids again. Raids again. Although they're they're the first few 
Showa films would still harken back. You know, uh, got King Kong versus Godzilla and the Japanese references raids again. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster references back to Mothra versus Godzilla. Well, and right. Monster Zero references back. But after it's, that, it got, it got looser. And it's just kind of the, you know, there's a familiarity, you know, mm-hmm. at this point. Everyone's like, oh, yeah, I know what a King Ghidorah is. <laughs> uh, at this point, Godzilla just has to show up on cue now. That's oh yeah, all, that, that's all it is. They had, uh, this is the last of the Showa series, and it, I, it, I don't think it was necessarily intended to be the ending, but Toho was looking to try to keep the series going because in 1970 you had the the fil- the Japanese film industry crashed. Yeah, and the uh, the contract system ended, so the you know, the sc- the landscape of Japanese cinema changed drastically in 1970. Also didn't help that A.G. Tsuburaya died in 1970. Yeah. Uh, God rest his soul. But mm-hmm. anyway, so everything changed. That's why, for one thing, Toho lost most of its franchises. They yeah. had a lot of film franchises before this, and they lost most of them. It's a small miracle Godzilla kept going. <laughs> it, it really is. is. But... Uh, it, it just shows you the versatility uh, and viability of the franchise. So, you know, and that's also why in the seventies movies, you had completely different actors mm-hmm. in there. You know, you weren't seeing Harada or Kumi Mizuno or a lot of the, the uh, Takarada, you know, you weren't seeing a lot of those mainstays necessarily. Yeah. Although Harada was in this movie uh, and yes. he was in the previous one, but and uh, you know, so and the you- whole, Kenji Sahara was in the previous one as well, briefly. That's also true. But, you know, but like I said, everything was just very, very different. The budgets were getting slashed. They were really getting their butts kicked by television at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, because suddenly, you know, people could basically get a Godzilla movie every week in their yeah. TV, uh, on their TV. So, you know, they managed to get a bit of a kickstart with the previous movie being that it was the 20th anniversary. So they were trying to ride that, you know, that's why they brought Mechagodzilla back. And that's also why they went and they grabbed some people who worked on the series at its hay in its heyday. That's why they got Honda to direct. They got a to compose the music. Mm-hmm. They brought Harada back as one of the stars of the film, you know, the problem that you run into is that most of the uh, is that you know you have the old guard coming in to help out with this, but you have the new guard that was that had been used to doing things a certain way in the seventies. So you got a little bit of a clash of sensibilities there. Yes, well, which per- makes the movie a little uneven. But I actually find it kind of fascinating because of that. Yeah the the whole way i was looking at it because again we do this show in chronological order kind of as a developing history and when you look Mm -hmm. at things in that way so this is not just the godzilla franchise but giant monster movies as a whole and when you you look at the lead up to this movie this has all of the pieces that people associate with godzilla movies from uh aliens invading with a monster to giant robot, to uh, Godzilla's the good guy, the Akira Ifukube score, 
Like it's it is textbook Tragic characters. Yeah. It's tech it's textbook Godzilla movie. Mm-hmm. Which up until this point didn't really exist. And this would be the template for the Heisei movies more or less going forward. Um this is the ultimate Showa Godzilla movie in both senses of the word. That's interesting because yeah, it's they didn't have nearly the budget that they did 10 years before this, say with monster zero. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I mean, you look at what they accomplished with what they had. It's impressive, which makes the fact that this is one of the lowest grossing Godzilla films, the entire franchise, I just know. that much more tragic. And mm-hmm. I, it's not because the movie's bad. I think it's just because the audience had moved on. They'd moved on. Yeah. There were, and then of course you look at like, when this played the champion festival, it's not exactly going to be a, a crowd pleaser for a bunch of nine-year-olds, <laughs> you know, not necessarily. It's pretty dark. It's the darkest one since the original. Probably. Hedera, well, hetero is pretty dark, but hetero also... was a different kind of dark because yeah. it was a different kind of everything. <laughs> if you, if you want to hear more about my thoughts on Godzilla versus Hedera, check out our live episode. <laughs> yep. I uh, did. <laughs> uh, so that this, this, I feel like is just like the, uh, you, you have, if we look at the Showa Godzilla series as a, uh, middle school essay, mm-hmm. uh, you have the initial thesis statement with 1954. And then you have the, uh, the middle schooler conclusion at the end of, well, you know, this isn't where I thought we were going, but this is where we wound up Mm -hmm. of terror of Mecha Godzilla. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's just, it's, I feel like this is almost a full circle moment. Oh, in a lot of ways it is. Yeah. Like I said, they brought back people who worked on the original film. They brought back Harada, who's playing another scientist. And ironically, he's kind of the anti-Sarazawa in this. Yes. Yeah. Which I, Dr. Mafune, which, okay, I get it. He looks like the Colonel. He looks like Colonel Sanders or Dr. <laughs> Wiley, depending on your persuasion. That's a lot of prosthetics and makeup. Mm-hmm. But if you but if you watch the movie in the original Japanese, the dub makes him sound a bit sillier. But yes. if you watch it in the original Japanese, Harada is taking this role very seriously. It's a very good performance, and uh, as a as a dub advocate in terms of what it means for film accessibility, mm-hmm. I feel like the physicality of his performance is still very uh notable like the you you see he's acting with his whole body while not being a ham like Mm -hmm. it's it's a very good performance in a film of you know for the most part pretty good performances Mm -hmm. Uh, there's a little hamminess here and there but it's mostly reserved for the full-fledged villains Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, like Mughal, who literally <laughs> whips his subordinates for failure. It comes uh. across a little funny, <laughs> admittedly, but it's supposed it's supposed to show you how dangerous and dark he is, but it comes across a little funny. Like yeah. a little, you know, snidely whiplashish. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, like uh <laughs> 
so um, we have a new monster in this Titanosaurus, and he's kind of a uh, a divisive figure among the fandom. Where do you fall on a on Titanosaurus? I love Titanosaurus. In fact, I got mad at my friend Danny Demana of the Godzilla Novelization Project because he got the apparently incredibly rare Bandai Titanosaurus figure for nothing from a dude at G-Fest who didn't know what he had. <laughs> and it made me mad. I didn't know I needed a Titanosaurus until that moment. So it made me mad. And then I tried to look into getting it. That's when I learned how stupid expensive it was. And then yeah. I tracked down a copy. <laughs> not copy. I tracked down one of the figures thanks to my friend Jay over at Toku Toy Town. Shout out to Toku Toy Town. And he even cut me a little bit of a deal so that I could get that. So I could get the Titano along with the 1975 Godzilla. So they are sitting on my shelf back on Monster Island along mm. with a a mecha godzilla 75 figure so i've got the whole set right there and it's beautiful <laughs> wonderful to hear but titanosaurus uh, is he's mm, one of the most underappreciated i feel like kaiju in the toho pantheon you know he's still relatively popular on the island but you know, especially <laughs> since he's not under mind control, so he's actually nice to people. Yeah, he's quite chill. Uh, <laughs> he's a very chill monster. But, <laughs> but, but, you know, I always loved him. He's he's a throwback, again, to yes. the 60s. You know, the pre-Ghidorah, you know, monsters that just got a big, fight. Just a big dinosaur. Just a big dinosaur, but he's a wild one. Funny thing is, is they're a scientist apparently discovered <laughs> some fossils that they named Titanosaurus, but now yep. I think that those fossils are being disputed. <laughs> yeah, it was a uh, South American sauropod, I believe, and yep. is probably uh, probably synonymous with something that was already discovered. I mean, uh, I, did read, I did read an essay in the original Godzilla compendium from a guy who was a paleontologist who wrote about Godzilla from a paleontological standpoint. He said, oh, yeah, I found some fossils and called them Gojirasaurus just for fun. Mm -hmm. And that is a uh, sorry, I'm a paleontology nerd. That is a Coelosaur, I believe, mm. uh, ancestor of a Tyrannosaurus, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but a smaller so, one. Yeah. So, yeah, I love Titano. Uh, it, it, Titanosaurus is such an interesting monster to me because because there's such a duality with him when we're first introduced to him he seems scary and aggressive mm -hmm. and because and especially if you look how how he's shot in this it's got the moody lighting because it's underwater yeah. you don't quite see him all that much and when he emerges from the water it's it's you know it's a low angle shot that you know that would become synonymous with the genre going forward yep <laughs> thank you shusuke kaneko <laughs> yes you yes. know and there's even some water that gets on the lens which is kind which is actually kind of cool and then you know that last shot of him smashing the submarine underwater and he does that one final roar and it looks like there's because he's supposed to be underwater, so I think it's supposed to be in bubbles or something like that. But it looks yeah. like steam coming out of his mouth. Like he seems horrifying. And then a... we find out, no, that's not how he normally is. And then he parallels Katsura. Yes, because she is by nature 
a gentle and kind woman who is being forced to be you know basically a, a horrible killer if you stop mm-hmm. and think about it you know so it makes titanosaurus tragic along with katsura yeah and the the way he compares to mecha godzilla in terms of what is his like even the the uh during the the final fight which is one of my favorites where we get all sorts of ridiculous things like i know it's a really dark movie that has some pretty ridiculous fight choreography yeah well like the lip biting and then throwing godzilla um i i love the uh (laughs) i love that they bury godzilla alive and then titanosaurus dances on his grave (laughs) i dance on your grave (laughs) Uh, puts his hands behind his back and uh just starts uh Auditioning for Riverdance right there. Uh, <laughs> he even bends over and starts playing with the dirt. He's like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, wow. <laughs> uh, and just that that casual cruelty that, you know, is not snorting like a horse. <laughs> yes. Oh, and I, I love his cry. I know a lot of people really hate it, but I mean, he's an underwater dinosaur thing. Like, of course, he's going to sound weird. Like, what what is something like that going to sound like in real life? You tell me and come up with something better. <laughs> I mean, uh, the last couple issues of Kaiju Ramen magazine have had a very extensive two-part article about the subject of Titanosaurus and the oh, science yeah? of Titanosaurus. So, if anybody listening to this if you haven't read Kaiju Ramen magazine, you're missing out. Go check it's it a- out. I'm I'm actually on staff for that magazine. And it's it's a good magazine, and I don't just say that because I've had something published in there and have something coming up in one of the upcoming issues. Uh, no, and yeah, it's it's gen, genuinely very good magazine. Uh, mm-hmm. But you were so, saying, uh, what I was saying was, I wanna I wanna close this sec- segment of the show, but talking a little bit about uh, Katsura. The such a great character. She is a wonderful character. One of the first. Uh, well, this was the first. We go over it a bit in the essay portion. Uh, this was the first Godzilla movie to be primarily written by a woman. Um, right. Well, I've gotten a little. When I've said that, I've gotten a little bit of pushback for it. The there was a very early draft of Son of Godzilla that was written by a woman, but almost none of it carried over. None of it carried over, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, Yukiko Takeyama is her name. She wrote the screenplay, and it is essentially her screenplay with uh, edits by Ishiro Honda. Mm-hmm. So they did have this... to take some things out for budgetary reasons. Yes, she was okay with. So this is this is her story, and you can tell in the the fact that you know the women characters, not just Katsura, but who are in it, even if they're just briefly have a lot more depth than this is my girlfriend mm-hmm. and she's a black belt, or this is my photographer and she wishes she was a real reporter, mm-hmm. you know, like there, there's their people, they're living people with mm-hmm. things going on behind their pretty faces. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot more emphasis in this compared to, especially the seventies films, I would say mm-hmm. on relationship. Very much. Yeah. 
Um, and yeah. and especially with Katsura and how she relates to, well, really the men in her life because there's her father, mm-hmm. there's our I can't remember his name, but Ichinose. You know, I, yeah, Ichinose, played by the guy who was previously in Megalon, which is hilarious. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I always. I, I know the pronunciation's wrong, but I always call him Itchy Nosy because it sounds funny. <laughs> it does sound funny. But, you know, her relationship with him, because, mm-hmm. you know, they have a, a budding romance that ends tragically. Yes. And also with the the male aliens who are constantly manipulating her. I look at that now, knowing what I know now about Japanese history, and I can't help but wonder if, with this being written by a woman, and she was a young woman too, like yes. her early 20s. She had just graduated. She had just finished grad school. Yeah. Yeah. So she was a young, young woman. And I'm looking at it thinking, you know, this is the mid 70s, you know. So I feel like, much like the original movie was showing Japan in a transition culturally because of the love triangle, where you had the Emmy, who's in a, a very traditional arranged marriage eventually mm-hmm. with Sarazawa, but she's in love with Ogata. Yeah. And she's wants to be with Ogata, but they basically have to keep their relationship secret, you know, cause that's a much more modern Western idea of courtship. Mm-hmm. And I feel like with Katsura, if this is kind of playing into that a little bit, but particularly when it comes to women's place in japanese society in the 70s because she's there are men who are manipulating her that's what the aliens are doing they are gaslighting her basically into doing their bidding she is the they made her a cyborg and she can control the monsters she Mm -hmm. she controls mechagodzilla so they're always gaslighting her telling her that she's you know she's just a cyborg she is powered by she's basically you know, the only things that she should feel are vengeance and hate and all of this sort of stuff. Right. Her father, she has a complicated relationship with her father because her father was a good man and has now he has succumbed to, to a desire for vengeance because of under, for understandable reasons, the guy was rejected by academia because he said, I have, I have the technology to control animals mm-hmm. and everyone freaked out, said, we're not, we don't want to have anything to do with you. And he, his wife, her mother, eventually died. He fell into poverty. And then the aliens come along and they offer him a chance to prove everybody wrong. So he takes yeah. it. But in his ambition, his daughter technically died and then became a cyborg. And then by the end of the movie, he that one scene when he goes to Katsura after she's had some more surgery mm-hmm. and he's he's just standing there and he's like, cats are what basically what's become of you. And he realizes this is all his fault, but now he's just, he's in too deep. He can't get out now. Yeah. You know? And then Ichinose is actually a positive <laughs> male relationship for her, but she can't fully open up to him, even though she wants to. So there's like, there's all of this tension for poor Katsura the entire time. And she doesn't 100% know how to do it. She's getting pulled in all these different directions and, you know, struggling even with understanding her own humanity. And it, just, it makes her story just so compelling. And this is in, I might add, a pretty comic booky 
science fiction monster mo- action movie yeah. meant for children. <laughs> yep. Yep. And I, I feel like that's one of the big strengths of these movies. Um, that they are able to to put this sort of thing in pretty sneakily for the most part. And uh, like, I loved this movie as a kid. I didn't pick up on any of that. Mm-hmm. I did pick up on um, uh, Ichinose being uh, everyone disbelieving him about his relationship with her because she doesn't show up to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was about it uh, in the terms of that aspect. That was the human conflict to me as a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's just well, so much... Yeah. You didn't get to see the part where she she shoots herself to stop Megacast. Yeah! So, <laughs> on that delightful note, we're going to switch over segments. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, get something to drink, have a snack. Uh, Jimmy, do you... Uh, do you go to the bathroom? Yeah, the bathroom. He's a little offended that you're implying that he's not human or something. Uh, well, <laughs> Last I checked, he's not a robot. He just sounds like a robot because he needs a new freaking microphone. I just like to tease him. Yeah. Um, again, especially after what he did, which we don't need to go into. Yes, yeah, so we don't need detail. to talk about that. Um, but so when we come back, we are going to play our game show segment. Um, Ooh. Which I did, I did when I, I got you on, uh, add a couple of questions that I think Ooh. might be up here more, uh, some of your literary background, Ooh. Um, as well as the same kind of dumb stuff I normally talk about. <laughs> so, uh, when we... Co- <laughs> uh, yes, Jimmy, we're, we've gotten a little used to quote-unquote dumb stuff. <laughs> <laughs> The shenanigans that we've gotten into on the island. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, we're we're definitely going to go back. Just maybe not right now. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) That said, when we come back, uh, our game show, my Canadian robot girlfriend goes to a different school. (laughs) I need to see this movie. (laughs) All right. No, I need to see this anime. That's an anime. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at luckylandslots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Man has constructed a technological terror so extreme nothing can stand before.
can Godzilla prevail against his mechanical clone? Hello, welcome back to Record All Monsters, where we are here with uh, Nathan Marchand of Monster <laughs> Island Film Vault. What is your title over on Monster Island, by the way? I... Uh, well, uh, I I had several for a while toward the end of last year, and if, if anyone, and Kate, well, I'm sure most people have noticed that the podcast episodes have been coming out in the feed as fast as they normally do. That's because... Well, the board and my former boss, Cameron Winter, decided to work me to death so I couldn't get things like, you know, the podcast versions of the episodes out fast enough. Yeah, my list, <laughs> my listeners don't know anything about uh, <laughs> about yeah. delayed episodes. <laughs> but, cur- but currently, I am back to my old title of film curator and, you know, I guess occasional radio host on there although now jimmy and i are doing that remotely from uber mogura which thank you for giving us a good spot recommending a good spot i should say to park that thing when we came to visit you here in texas (laughs) oh yeah you know the the part one thing texas has you know it's texas you you have an idea in your head you're probably right but good parking friends in texas you know good actually Actually, the not uh, just a few short days ago, I was visiting my friends over at the Cellcast who also live in Texas. Oh. You know, yeah, we talked about Tron Legacy because they're, ah. an anim- they're an animation show and they already did the original Tron. And I said, if you're going to do the original, you got to do the sequel. And I want to be on for it. <laughs> 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 so <laughs> so we had a good time. So this 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 is perfect. But yeah. So let's get into our game show segment. Mm-hmm. Um, which is called "My Canadian Robot Girlfriend Goes to a Different School." <laughs> um, Seriously, that's a manga waiting to happen, <laughs> uh, and it might be based on your life. Of are course, you gonna, it is. Are you going to play along with us, Jimmy? Oh, sounds like you will. <laughs> okay. All righty then. Let's uh, let's get going. There's some confusion about who Katsura is for a little while in today's film, especially mm-hmm. regarding her relationship with Ichinose. I get big, I have a girlfriend, but she goes to another school slash lives in Canada vibes off the whole thing. <laughs> so that got me thinking about our game show segment. Look at it, in all of its majesty. This game it's is wonderful. called... <laughs> this game is called My Canadian Robot Girlfriend Goes to a Different School, And your job, dear Nathan and dear Jimmy, is to answer in the affirmative or the negative when I ask you if a particular fictional character had either an invented or robotic significant other. (laughs) If you win, you will be issued a standard robot of your preferred gender to do with as you see fit. (laughs) 
that, that got weirdly Westworldy in there. <laughs> if you lose, you will be modified into a standard robot to be used as seen fit by someone for whom you are the preferred gender. You signed the contract. You already agreed to this, so don't complain to me. <laughs> Jimmy, I don't care if that happened to you once, all right? <laughs> all right. Question one. That's going to be fun to edit. Uh, <laughs> question one. Did Bart Simpson's fourth grade teacher, Edna Krabappel, ever have a fake boyfriend? I'm going to say yes. And Jimmy agrees with me. All right. Well, she did. Uh, though she didn't invent him herself, Mrs. Krabappel had a whirlwind romance with Woody Wilson, who, by some coincidence, looked just like hockey legend Gordy Howe. If I knew more about hockey, that would make sense. <laughs> <laughs> I am not Canucky. I am not Canuckian enough. Apparently. If you, uh, if that episode is from season four, it's called Bart the Lover. Uh, and if you watch it, they will fill you in on who Gordy Howe is in a very funny joke I find very funny. And I'm not even that much of a hockey guy, despite living in Canada for a year. <laughs> I have friends in Canada and they make fun of them all the time about their bacon. <laughs> all right question two and right now the score is one two one Ooh. did fox Mulder, absolute madman and fbi special agent <laughs> from the tv show the x-files fall in love with a realistic robot woman named diana two who said she had corroborating evidence of his wider investigation into the international conspiracy known as the syndicate okay here's the thing there's a lot of detail in there that would lead me to believe that that's true because the way you make a lie effective is that the more details you put in it, the more real it looks. However, you're clever enough to throw in enough details to make me think that. So I obviously, can I drink from the cup in front of you? I <laughs> Truly, you have a dizzying intellect. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Jimmy, I know. Thank you. It's, I'm glad somebody finally acknowledged it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this is... Uh, yeah, this is definitely a Sicilian levels of, uh, of conundrum here. Uh so what were the details again? It was synthetic syndicate Diana two, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Diana two. Oh, and I phone a friend. I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you need like the you need like who wants to be a millionaire music playing? I did that with Michael <laughs> on Kaiju Weekly uh, <laughs> when, we, when we were playing a game, but uh, I'm gonna say no. He says yes, though. Hmm. All right. Well, Jimmy, you are wrong. <gasps> uh, he did not. But I do feel like this was a missed opportunity. That Why didn't the X-Files ever give Mulder a robot girlfriend? Because Scully. Um, <laughs> she's only one of the best characters in television history. <laughs> okay. Aha, so, Jimmy. Ha-ha. <laughs> two to one in favor of Nathan. <laughs> all right here's where we start getting uh 
Anyway, in weird fiction pioneer E.T.A. Hoffman's 1816 short story, The Sandman, main character Nathaniel falls in love with two women, Olympia and Clara, both of whom try to dissuade him of the belief that the Sandman, in the form of the scientist Coppelius, murdered his father. Were either of these women robots? Oh, that's the question. Were any of these women robots? 1816, correct? Yep, 1816. E.T.A. Hoffman, same guy who wrote The Nutcracker. Hmm. Okay. Work with me here, Robert. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing. Mm -hmm. I know the term robot was not invented until the 1920s, 1930s by a Russian playwright, Mr. Kapek. Mm -hmm. So robots as we know it, not, uh, I would say no, but if it's the guy who wrote The Nutcracker, and I definitely need to find this story now, I would be willing to believe that they are synthetic Although they wouldn't have been calling them robots. But it's like we you said it's the nutcracker. We we are playing a little fast and loose with the terms robot right. and so then I'm going and... then I am going to say yes. And so is Jimmy. You are both correct. Olympia was in fact a robot made by another scientist as well as Coppelius. I mm. may have spoiled the big twist in a two two hundred and three year old sci fi story, but it is still worth reading. It's interesting that that comes out just a few short years after Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Yes. Um, uh, I, I love E.T.A. Hoffman. He's a big weirdo. Uh, <laughs> he wrote the Nutcracker. <laughs> and he, he writes a bunch of big weirdo things. And everyone knows him from the Nutcracker, which everyone knows of, you know, primarily the ballet. But you get down and dirty into some of his stuff and... Uh, you got a guy who I feel like sometimes gives Lovecraft a run for his money. Yeah. So, so was this before or after Nutcracker? Uh, I'm not sure on the timeline of that. Uh, this yeah, was... I'm actually trying to Google that right now. Oh, I love how I put in Nutcracker and I get a tool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Nutcracker. Uh, Hoffman. That is. Well, no, this is the play. This might be the play because it lists the Nutcracker as 1882. Okay, so they were. But that's uh, the play. That's they were published in the same short story collection. The the Nutcracker and the Mouse King. Yes. There you go. Okay, because I was thinking of the I was thinking of the ballet. That's why. Well, I was, yeah. Uh, the collection is called uh, Kindermarchen. Children's oh, stories. There you um, go. And so that uh, that collection had both uh, the Sandman and the Nutcracker. The Sandman was also adapted into a ballet called Coppelia. Hmm. The Sandman and the Nutcracker sounds like either <laughs> like a band, like a duo, like a musical duo. No, that's a that's a drive time DJ cop movie you've ever seen. <laughs> Those are drive time radio DJs. We're here with the Sandman and the Nutcracker. Uh. <laughs> Coming soon to Monster Island. Because <laughs> let me tell you, when I'm not on the air, there's some there's some other shows that are on, and they're kind of weird. It it was we have interesting. One host, we have one hosted by a Kappa. 
uh we we were when we were driving from our hotel the resort to the studio for our appearance yeah we we got a taste of some of that mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. all right okay all that matters so, is i'm still winning what's next <laughs> three to two <laughs> question four sometime in the late 12th century a volume of 12 romantic poems was published it survives to this day and is known under the title the lays of marie de france it contains an Arthurian tale titled L'Anval. When Queen Guinevere seduces the titular knight, he rejects her by saying he is currently bound to a fairy woman who is extremely jealous. Is he telling the truth? Hmm. Hmm. Diving into some Arthurian lore I am not as familiar with. Hmm. 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 Which was it? Was it's Queen? It's Guinevere, and who's the knight? Lanval. Lanval. Hmm. He is a minor player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a fairy, you say? Mm-hmm. Uh. Or some sort of fae. Uh... Right. Right. I'm going to say yes, but Jimmy says no. You are correct, sir. Not you, Jimmy. Uh, oh. Nathan. Uh, Ah, dang. The unnamed Fae is real, but their relationship is contingent upon his keeping it a secret. When he tells Guinevere, he breaks their agreement, and the queen accuses him of seducing her to King Arthur. Ah, okay. Will the Fae woman come and testify to King Arthur and save her errant lover's life? Find out when you read Lanval, only in the lays of Marie de France, available in a shady PDF download near you. (laughs) Um, I, I love fairy tales and like medieval literature and stuff. It's oh yeah, great one fun. Of, one of my great loves. Um, mm-hmm. and I love whenever I can sneak, sneak a reference in here. <laughs> this is this is why I enjoy your show. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so you have gotten four out of four correct so far, and Jimmy, you have gotten two out of four correct. <laughs> Hey, no need to get jealous over there, okay? So, Jelly. <laughs> Nathan, you have a chance to join the elite company of those who have won the game show with all questions correct <gasps> on their first appearance. Hot um, dang! <laughs> you, would, you would join John LeMay, um, and there's a couple others who I don't have off the top of my head. I used to have a list here, but I cleaned <laughs> recently, um, and I can't find it. So, hey, I, I, joining a league th- with John LeMay is always good. <laughs> his, uh, it, it is funny, though. Before I knew I was going to be able to book him to be a guest on the show the first time, um, it was for the Veron the Unbelievable episode. <laughs> and most of the questions were sourced from one of his books. <laughs> so, you know, there wasn't really a chance that he was going to lose that one. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> and if he and if he did, I'd be worried. <laughs> <laughs> so, final question: The middle grade graphic novel "Ghosts" by Reina Telgemeier is about Katrina and her family moving to Southern California, where she meets a boy who helps her deal with her little sister's terminal illness. Was this boy one of the ghosts of the title? Ooh. You know what? I'm going to say yes. And Jimmy's going crazy over there and agreeing with me. 
Well, you both are wrong. Oh! oh! You still win the game show, and you still beat Jimmy, who will have to be modified. Um, <laughs> but no, no, he's just a kid. No older than my son. That was a reference to the end of the famous train sequence in Spider-Man 2. I must say that man's son probably had a son of his own, might have been divorced, had a mortgage, and was thinking about buying a convertible. <laughs> uh, I would have expected you to do better, Jimmy. I mean, you're dating a zillion woman now. Hey, at this point, it's public knowledge, okay? You got exonerated <laughs> thanks to Raymond, okay? Oh, you guys. Well, thank you so much for coming coming down. Uh, I know y'all are you're on your way to do some big things. Uh, yeah, well, we got Kaiju to wrangle. It was put into my new contract with the board. Mm. We had some escapees. They went back to their home countries. Nice. Uh well, uh, enjoy Denmark. Uh, <laughs> yes. Yes, we will find the Tilakai. And uh, say hello to uh, Ogre for me. <laughs> uh, yes, we will. <laughs> she's she's near and dear to my heart, Ogre is. As, a, as, an, <laughs> as an Irish diaspora, a great, a great big dinosaur that destroys London. Of course. <laughs> of course. I know uh, another, uh, would you say Irish or Scottish? Irish. Irish. Oh, okay. I, I have a Scottish diaspora who would probably appreciate it too. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. We just need a Mexican kaiju to get in there and uh, mess up the French. And, uh... <laughs> well, uh, there are the the monsters from Gareth Edwards' monsters. That's true. That's true. They hang out in Mexico. Mm. Well, with that said, have you got anything to plug? I'm sure you do. I, it's one of my spiritual gifts, sir. Yes, I mentioned the Monster Island Film Vault already. If you enjoy Record All Monsters, you will be right at home in the Monster Island Film Vault, we also take an academic approach to all things kaiju and tokusatsu. Although, we do things a little bit differently than you do. If you're going chronological through everything, we do things in fun little themes. So when I launched the show a couple years ago, we talked about the Kong movies. And it, I would have finished that right before Godzilla vs. Kong originally was supposed to come out. <laughs> And then they delayed it. So I had to make filler. And then they delayed it again. And I had to make more filler and start season two. <laughs> and then season two was the year of Gamera, which was a board mandate because I only wanted to talk about four Gamera movies. And they told me, nope, all 12. Ah, dang it. <laughs> nah, there's some good stuff in there. Yes, we know. You were one of the Kennys. Jeez. We get it. You helped Gamera save the world from a space squid. And that's how you got a job at NASA. Anyway. And no no one no one is uh is, you know, we're not minimizing your contributions, Jimmy. <laughs> Just the Kennys. But anyway. <laughs> hey, this then, is a pro Kenny space, and you know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then season three was America Kaiju. So we've been talking about American made Kaiju movies because yes, Elijah Thomas of of Kaiju Conversation. Other countries besides Japan can make 
kaiju movies. Yeah, and I think you you did an episode on a uh, on Colossal. Yes, that that had a very charming couple on as your guests. Oh yeah, they were wonderful, absolutely wonderful. <laughs> Talking about our spirit kaiju and all that oh, yeah. stuff it was very zen. But anyway, <laughs> and then I also. I, I do other podcasts. I am also the co-host of Henshin Men, a podcast about the appreciation of Japanese superheroes and their high-flying and high-kicking adventures. I started that with my friend Travis Alexander, formerly of Kaiju Weekly, and now the main guy, co-founder of Kaiju Ramen Magazine. Mm-hmm. That will be wrapping up soon. I brought on a new co-host named Drew Dodgen of the Cellcast. He's helping me finish out our coverage of the original Common Rider from 1971. And then, unfortunately, the show will go on hiatus because I can only do so much. <laughs> but I'm hoping to to revive that podcast at some point or another. And then I am also the co-host of The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise with Michael Hamilton. Both Henshiman and The Power Trip are members of the Kaiju Rama Podcast Network, which is a lot of fun. And we spent all of season one covering every season of Power Rangers. And now as we are in, se- in season two, as we are waiting for 30th anniversary material to come out, we are talking about Super Sentai and some Power Ranger comic books. All right. And well, I am. Well, I got one more. Got one. Okay, more. Go ahead. Go ahead. I am also a cast member in Scyther Podcasts, Power Rangers, the audio drama, I play Rito, Rita's brother. Ah. <laughs> and then to just to make things extra weird, Rito one time called into the show and hijacked it for about a minute. Ah, well, because you know, of course he does. You know what? Good for him. Uh, Snar- I'm sorry it happened to you, but good for him. <laughs> uh, snarky bonehead. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so yeah, and Scyther Podcast also does an X-Men audio drama, and I was just cast in that, but that episode is not out yet, so I can't tell you who I'm playing in that. All I will say is that it is a character who can legitimately reference the Power Rangers show, and that I play Rito. Well, we're all looking forward to your portrayal of Magneto. Uh, <laughs> X-Men, welcome to die. <laughs> welcome to die. That's going to be a t-shirt. Welcome to die. And then if um, you want to, I'm also, like I said, I'm also a writer. If you want to check out my writings, go to my author website, which is in desperate need of an update. <laughs> NathanJSMarchand.com. Yes, I have two middle initials. And no, they don't stand for Johann Sebastian. Uh, well, you know, once again, my, my listeners don't know anything about websites needing to be updated. So, uh, um, so, uh, oh, thank and follow you. Jimmy from NASA on Twitter at NASA, uh, at NASA Jimmy there. Yeah. He's my contractual he's obligations are fulfilled <laughs> <laughs> and he's happy. That's all that matters. <laughs> well, we really appreciate you guys coming on. We hope to have you guys on again. Um, I would love to. Next season, which this is the last main episode of the season. Woo! Season finale! Um, <laughs> giving, giving some uh, some future sight here. Uh, next season, we will be covering some stuff in your uh, your Henshin wheelhouse. Ooh! Um, season premiere is going to be uh, Super Inframan. <gasps> that, 
That's the season premiere for my, for season four for me. Oh my oh! gosh! <laughs> uh, <laughs> maybe we'll have to cross over. Um, Ooh. <laughs> and uh, Ultra, we're doing Ultraman story. Ooh, I haven't uh, seen that one yet. Actually, that's the the first Ultraman film written for the silver screen, and that mm-hmm. wasn't just com- it was still heavily compiled from stock footage from the show. But mm-hmm. it wasn't just stock footage from the show. Mm-hmm. And um, near the end of season three, we'll be looking at Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Oh my gosh. If you have me on for that, that'll make four podcasts where I've talked about that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll just go cut clips from, from your other appearances. <laughs> um, just edit me and I'm stuck with it. <laughs> uh, right. well, Ultraman story would be really fun. You know, well, and, and and Super Inframan is just caffeine induced insanity. So that is a party. <laughs> that movie is a party. Um, That's putting and... it lightly. <laughs> uh, so we're going to go ahead and say goodbye to this segment of the show. And I'll catch you all up with some housekeeping. I know I did a little bit of that here um, on the other side of this sound effect. All right. So we we did it, we did it. We finished off the twenty one movies of season two. We will uh, when this goes live. Uh, I will put out a ballot for the Rammies, and then Courtney and I will put out an episode next week or around about then, going over the nominees and what we think about it. And. Uh, as soon as I can, I'll have the Remy's award show and ceremony out for your viewing or listening pleasure. Uh, this this episode has uh, been a long time coming, and it has been fighting with me uh, every step of the way, uh, including the editing, which is... Sound files were corrupted, and thank you to... Nathan, our guest, who was able to send me a backup file because somehow my initial files uh, got corrupted, and uh, he saved he saved the day. So, with that said, seeing a little bit for the Rammies, uh, we are kind of pushing for a Rondo nomination. There's been a lot going on this year. I think the recommendations for the nominations are closed, and I don't know if the ballot is out yet. Uh, But I really want to hear at the end of this season, thank you so much for your patience with everything that's been going on, and I'm taking more time to to work on Season 3. I'm not going to be putting it out until I have... 10 episodes finished, and then the next 11 after that, uh, I will take a break after the first 10 to make sure that the next set are just as good and we don't have another slowdown like this. This season was racked with personal and uh, practical problems, uh, tech problems, uh, high points like the live show, uh, personal uh, personal favorites like 
Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla and Godzilla's Revenge. Uh, we're... I'm very happy with how this season went overall in terms of the the episodes that were produced. How they turned out. I, I made sure that I was happy with each one of them. And I hope you all were too. So hopefully uh, next season, which I'm pushing back, uh, part one, to hopefully release in the fall. I've already started pre-production on that. We've got research going on and writing as well. So that's it. That's it for now. And uh, we'll see you for the Rammy nominees announcement in a couple of some things. I thought between now and then, remember that monsters are your friends. <laughs>